you're buying a multi-unit, you know, fourplex or an apartment building, that should always be in an LLC. Yeah. If you're just buying a townhouse or a condo or a single family home and it's just a single one, not, not I, I would recommend having an LLC, but it's not 100%. Welcome to the Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show, a community for real estate investors to learn, network, and grow. Be sure to join the investnest.com and start learning and earning today. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Travis Murphy, your host of the Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show. You're listening to podcast episode 16, and I want to thank you all for joining us again this week. We've got another great invest guest lined up for us. But before we start, I want to remind everybody to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Invest Nest. And check out the website, theinvestnest.com, if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying the show so far, we would always appreciate a good review and a great rating. All right. And now I'm going to welcome our guest, Heath Chavis, to the show. Heath is an accountant. He works with uh, real estate investors, but I'm going to let him tell us a little bit more about himself. So first off, Heath, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Travis. I appreciate it. Um, uh, so as you said, I'm an accountant. I'm a uh, CPA and also a certified financial planner. So oftentimes I integrate the two services for my clients together. So in addition to talking about the tax implications of all the real estate investments you're doing, I oftentimes help my client understand how that works into the uh, larger portfolio and their financial goals as well. Awesome. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be a great interview. This is perfect for our audience, people that are already investing or just getting started in investing. You know, they may know some of the aspects uh, of, you know, how it relates to taxes and tax savings, but maybe you can, you know, shed a little bit of light on some cer a certain few topics that come up pretty often. Um, so first a little bit a little bit more background on you you so you work with uh, real estate investors in particular or i mean is i'm sure you have all sorts of clients but you you do work with real estate investors specifically as well that's correct M many of my clients are either developers real estate agents uh people who are investing in real estate themselves uh, in either multifamily, uh single family homes townhomes um a lot of people have highly appreciated rental properties that, you know, they're not positive what to do with. That's actually how a lot of my clients end up coming to me is they're not really positive of what the capital gain or tax implications may be of some of the rental properties that they've owned for quite some time. There's a lot of information out there. And, you know, when you try to become a Google expert sometimes, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Bit. I think we're all a little bit guilty of that to an extent, but, but no, I mean, you're right. You know, as far as a CPA or somebody that kind of specializes in, in some of the tax law surrounding real estate, you know, in particular, and that's an integral part to having a person like you on somebody's team, especially if they're, you know, higher scale or doing developing large scale projects. But not just them, even the, the smaller, you know, husband and wife or the person just getting started in real estate with maybe one or two rental properties. I mean, there's a lot of, I would imagine there's a lot of benefits still that they can, um, you know, take advantage of. So I guess let's start there. Can you tell us a little, what are some of the, the most important aspects to real estate when, you know, as it relates to tax potentially savings? Absolutely. Well, the, Many of the millionaires out there in the country, the way that they've started to accumulate their wealth or the way that they've accumulated wealth is by investing in real estate. And, you know, there's a good reason for that. As you invest in real estate, as you know, many people probably know because they're listening to this podcast, there's tax advantage to income that you can receive 
from it. And what that mainly means is that any rental income that you receive is offset by real estate taxes, mortgage interest, home insurance that you're paying on it, but also a non-cash expense called depreciation. So when you have a residential rental property, you can uh, depreciate the value of that property over 27 and a half years. So if you have a, uh, to keep it easy, a $275,000 rental property, that's $10,000 a year in expenses that is a cash-free expense. So it's essentially just an expense for owning real estate. So in kind of layman's terms, it's almost like a deduction somebody might be able to take. It's a free deduction that you get for owning real estate. There are implications potentially on the back end of that, but many, many people who own real estate get to take that, uh, take advantage of that cash free expense. Cool. That's very cool. I think that's one of the, you know, one of the large components of real estate, like you said, that it's as an advantage to people that accumulate properties over time. Um, I guess to kind of break that down a little bit further. So what you're saying is people that maybe have a few rental properties, you know, and they have their ordinary income from their job or their salary, not only do they get to take the deductions of owning the property, like you said, interest and, and other things that they can expense through owning that property, which if it ends up showing as a loss, I guess Pat could pass through to them individually. But on top of those hard deductions that they're taking, through actual expenses, the, the non-cash deduction, like the depreciation, which you're talking about, is a, is a totally, it's in addition to all those other things on top of it, just based on the property value itself. That's correct. And with many small properties, a lot of times it could wipe out a lot of the actual rental income that you have. So you end up with cash flow from the rents that you have, and hopefully your property's cash flow positive from you know, the, the mortgage that you've taken out and the taxes and everything else there but you'll have cash that's coming in from your rents, but you won't have to pay any tax on all of that rental income. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you make up to $150,000, you can deduct up to $25,000 of those rental losses each year if you do have them. And if you make more than $150,000 a year, then those potential losses that you could have from real estate, they just carry over year after year after year until you end up selling the properties and those passive losses end up getting what's called released against any gains on the property. Okay. Yes. I mean, we could, we could easily go down a a rabbit hole with any, (laughs) any one of these topics, but you know, we'll, we'll we'll kind of address some of the more um, commonly question, you know, more, some of the more common questions that come up, but to what you just said about, you know, even if you're not passing any of the tax deductions or savings done to yourself individually, if you're, if you're, if your property or properties are earning cash flow, and you're deducting these expenses of owning the property to where you just zero that cash flow or income out, it's essentially tax free income. That's exactly what it is. One of the great benefits of owning real estate is you have it, you buy it, somebody else is potentially paying off the loan or the mortgage that you have on the property. And hopefully that property is appreciating over time as well. So uh, you get your, your down payment in there and you've got your initial investment into the property. And you know, again, hopefully at the end of the day, the goal is to own a, an asset that's paid off by somebody else that's also appreciating over time. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So we'll move on slightly. I, I, staying on the tax subject to an extent though, there's some things out there where if you're considered a real estate professional, there are additional deductions or savings that you can potentially have. I know that that's 
probably a little bit more um, in detail. You might need to go into that more detail than we have time for today. But if you could just give us an overview of what that's about. I think the biggest takeaway from that is that the IRS has made that a very high watermark to reach, to be a re to be considered a real estate professional. Uh, if you have you know, a separate job, as you were talking about before, where you know, maybe you have a W-2, you're employed by someone else, theoretically, you're working 2,000 hours a year for that employer. The IRS has a test where if it's called the 750-hour test, where you have to document that on each rental property that you own, that you have spent 750 hours managing or have been involved in that property. So if you can't meet that test, which if you own more than one property or even it's, one property, yeah. it's a very high hurdle to try and reach. Uh, most of the time, real, real estate rentals are considered passive activities, meaning you can only deduct passive losses to the extent that you have passive income, which is why, as you said before, you can zero out your rental income, but it's, uh, if your income is over $150,000, you can't deduct any of those additional expenses and they need to be carried over because you're not going to be considered a real estate professional. Got it. In I all see. likelihood. There are exceptions. There are ways to make that happen. But I would say by and large, you should go into it considering that you are not going to be a real estate professional and won't be able to deduct those losses. See, this is why we need accountants, everybody. Everybody listening out there, make sure you have a good one. Uh, we'll, be, we'll make sure we can get you in touch with Heath at the end of the show. But so, okay, what about real estate agents? You know, a real estate agent is considered, that would be, if that's their main profession, they're considered a real estate professional. If they own rental properties, would they qualify? Uh, the hurdle is less because they already meet one of the tests in being a real estate professional. Uh, there are you know, a couple hundred hour tests that they could uh, you know, potentially be involved in those properties. There are exceptions if you have a management company, if you're managing the property of somebody else's, uh, the new tax law, uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2000, uh, passed in 2017, brought some uh, new tests in into play. Uh, and then the one other thing that you know, I'll leave you with here is that uh, there's a way that you could potentially group all these properties together. There are advantages and disadvantages to doing that. But if you own multiple rental properties to meet that 750 hour test, you can group all the properties together. So all the time you spend on all the properties cumulatively, if that meets 750 hours, then you could potentially deduct all the losses if you have them on your personal tax return against ordinary income. However, if you go to sell one of those properties, you have to sell all of them, all of the properties in the group to be able to realize any passive uh, loss, um, any passive loss, um, you know, releases. To release those passive losses against any of the other income that you've had, right. you have to sell all the properties. So it's they're, all or nothing. They're combined. They're grouped more or less as one. And that that kind of leads me on into my next question or the next topic uh, that comes up a lot, especially with you know newer investors that might just have one you know one rental property here, or a couple of rental properties is whether or not to start an LLC or put the property or properties into an LLC and and 
kind of potentially group them, group them. Now, I know there's a lot of over, overlap here with what we're talking about. And a lot of these topics are not very cut and dry. So mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of other variables that come into play with each of these. But just for the sake of the general conversation, you know, putting your property or properties into an LLC, is that something that you recommend for, for people that are just getting started in real estate investing out there? I don't think that it can hurt. Ideally, what you want to do is you want to have each property in a separate LLC to make sure that that property is separated from you personally. God forbid something happens. You don't want somebody being able to come after you personally. You only want them to be able to go after the assets of the LLC. Right. Now, what's practical and what I would, you know, ideally say should happen, you know, oftentimes are, are not convergent. They're, they oftentimes are different. So, uh, a lot of times what I'll see and what I don't really have an issue with is if you're just starting out and you do have a rental property and you purchase it in your own name, as long as you're able to have an umbrella policy that can cover any liabilities that you may have from that rental property, uh, I don't think it's 100% necessary to have an LLC at first. As you start to acquire more properties, uh, you start to have a little bit more that somebody can go after and you're, you're a little bit more exposed. So having that structure set up in a way that will protect you, I think becomes much more important the more that you have. You know, it's like Biggie says, more money, more problems. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, we could have a whole podcast about what Biggie has to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you're, that's a great point you just made. And it's almost on two fronts because there's, there's a, the reason for having an, you know, an LLC or property in LLC, LLC is for more or less your protection or, or your liability. At least at first, correct. Init right, initially. But there's also you know, the cost benefit to it. So having an LLC costs money. You know, you've got to, you're going to have some costs to set it up. You know, you're going to, there's going to be additional fees associated with doing the returns at the end of the year. So if, if, that's, if you only have one property that's providing some cash flow or some income for you, it's, it may not be enough to justify having it in an, into an LLC. But as you start to accumulate more properties and put, you know, then it may, there might be a certain point where it makes sense to put them into an LLC. And you could, always, you could always buy one initially, right, with just in your own name and then over time refinance it into an LLC if you decided to. You could potentially, you're not, correct. You're not stuck and with one or the other off the bat. Exactly. And, you know, what I, what I usually say to people is, you know, once you hit a certain number of properties, uh, put those into an LLC and everybody's circumstances are, are different. If you're buying a multi-unit, you know, fourplex or an apartment building, that should always be in an LLC. Yeah. If you're just buying a townhouse or a condo or a single family home and it's just a single one, not, I, I would recommend having an LLC, but it's not 100% necessary. Yeah for yeah. the reasons I stated before. But uh, if you have property, the way to separate the LLCs out would be, you know, if you own properties in different states and you own several properties in different states, I would try to group the properties that are geographically similar mm -hmm. into an LLC. So if you own properties in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia, have each of those in their own separate state LLCs. Uh, as you start to accumulate more properties in one state, you maybe yeah. limit the amount of um, the amount of value in each LLC to maybe you know a million dollars. So if you have four two hundred fifty thousand dollar properties, keep those in one LLC and then start another one for the new properties that you accumulate. So yeah, there are practical ways to do it to keep everything organized and to make sure that you don't leave yourself exposed and that you're setting yourself up the right way. Yeah. No. I mean, and like like we started off this conversation. Uh, 
you know, there's, there's a lot of variables that come into play. So it depends if you, if you have a, a rental property that's also your vacation home or something that you rent out when you're not using it, you might not need an LLC for that. But if you're starting out and you're buying a property specifically as an investment and you plan to continue to buy a few more properties in that area, in, in the same area, single families, then it might make sense to get it set up. That way you don't have to worry about switching it over later if that's your plan. Um, and Absolutely. Then he, I always recommend that my clients come to me or anybody, hopefully yeah, they, they come to point. me or, you know, some advisor before you do any of this to make sure that you're setting up the right plan initially, because once it's done, once the property is purchased, there's not as much that I can do going back or looking back. It's always looking forward. And, you know, they say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if you're you know, going through this, a little bit of planning goes a long way. Uh, and it's worth a 10 or 15 minute conversation to understand what are you trying to do now? What do you hope to do for the future to make sure that everything's set up the right way? Great, great point. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that that's key. Just like, you know, anything, hindsight is 2020, you know, and if you can meet, meet with a planner, a financial planner, a CPA, you know, that's going to be the best move ultimately. That way you can discuss your plan, your goals, and and then determine what's the best path forward for, for you and, and what you want to accomplish. Well, that's why I love bringing being able to bring both sides of it to the table is, you know, from the tax side of things, helping people understand the tax benefits and implications of investing in real estate. But it's oftentimes part of a larger plan that you don't want to have all your assets in real estate. Oftentimes people come to me and say, yeah, I have real estate, especially real estate agents. I have real estate or uh, real estate. This is what I know. This is what I want to own. I can see it. I can touch it. I can go there. I can walk into the door and see that this is what I own as opposed to you know, being invested in the stock market or anywhere else. But what I will always tell people who are investing in real estate is that it's always good to have some liquid cash available to uh, mm -hmm. by its nature. Real estate is just a very illiquid investment. So even if the majority of your assets are there, call it 70 or 75%, if you need to do repairs on that property, if you want to go buy a new property, whatever you want to do, I always recommend having some liquid cash available to make sure that you, know, you can do what you need to do for these rental properties. Mm -hmm. And you know, if there is a down market or there's something else that goes you know, awry, because obviously real estate is somewhat cyclical, it's gone up um, you know, over the past decade or so, but mm -hmm. it's definitely cyclical. So un making sure that you have something liquid uh, is very important as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they say cash is king for a reason. And, and that right now, that may never have been truer, you know, than right. another time than right now. Uh, and like, that's another good point. You know, real estate is not liquid. So what that means is that you can't pull the money out very quickly, um, which is also why it's typically a more stable asset and a little bit more safer. So depending on the asset class, usually if it's a, if the money can move in and out more freely, it, it it's potentially comes with more risk. Uh, if it's a more stable asset like real estate, it's, it's less liquid, but it's, it's, you know, it usually comes with less, less risk. Absolutely. Um, back to real quickly on the LLC topic. So if, if somebody has a few properties in, in a certain state and then they, <clears throat> and then they, you know, they want to go buy another multifamily or an apartment building somewhere else, would you recommend? And of course, again, there's a lot of other variables that come into play, but they could also potentially set up an LLC for the new investment, the new apartment building, say, for an example, but put the ownership of that LLC in the previous LLC. So the first LLC owns the second one. And then more or less, if they continue to do that, funnel those returns from the multiple different LLCs to the one holding company. 
you could potentially do that. And that's where it becomes, you know, part of a larger plan in terms of how are you structuring your real estate portfolio? Mm-hmm. Um, as we were saying before, that the, there's going to be a very large range of people who are investing in real estate. We've got, you know, commercial, you know, um, you know, institutional investors, and then you've got, you know, mom and pop down down the road who, you know, own the condo or the single family home. So it's definitely going to depend what your goals are and where you see your real estate, your own personal real estate empire going. Um, if you're going to have multiple properties in different states, you're setting up a management company to manage them all is absolutely going to help you reach that real estate professional, you know, status and hurdle with the IRS, because now you've got a management company that's managing all these properties and it goes a long way to potentially helping you meet that definition of what is a real estate professional. So as we were saying before, making sure that you're structuring yourself properly, understanding what you want to do. And, you know, sometimes people just accumulate properties and there's not too much of a plan at first. It's, oh, here was a great opportunity. So, you know, I went plunk down the down payment and then I did it again. I took some money out of that one, rolled it into Mm -hmm. the next one. And, um, you know, sometimes it snowballs and it's always awesome when that happens. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, again, it becomes one of those issues where you really have to make sure that you're structured properly and you understand all the tax implications and financial implications of all the assets that you now own. Yeah, it sounds like what we're talking about right now is more or less strategy, right? So it, a lot of these topics that we're discussing, it depends on what your strategy is, you know, whether it's having a holding company and funneling the losses or gains from the other companies up to a holding company or establishing a management company. And real quick, just to clarify by management company, you're referring to like the asset management company, not necessarily like a property management company that is. And it could, it could be either one. You could have your own. Yeah. So the correct, the property management company, you would probably have locally, right. You'd have rental income coming in, coming in, you pay the property manager and they would make sure everything funnels up to your own personal holding company. Right. And that's where everything, all but, the, uh, but if you had properties in other States, you wouldn't most likely have a property management company and that's, but, but when you, re, but when you're talking about, when you're referencing setting up a property management company for all those different LLCs that own properties all across all the States, that's, that's about managing all those assets. Which That's correct. There really is. It's, it's a business of in, in of itself. So you're basically establishing a business that runs all these other LLCs that you have these properties set up in. But there can potentially be advantages of having there could be potentially be advantages of having that management company set up based on whatever deductions you might be able to take. And absolutely. And that's something that I set up with clients um, a, a fair amount of the time, because yeah. as you have multiple properties, your your personal financial situation could get very complicated very quickly. So by being able to funnel everything through you know, one kind of master entity that you know, simplifies things for you and you know for estate planning purposes as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we haven't you know, talked about that, but that's something that's going to come in. And like you said, we could spend a whole other podcast yeah. talking about those yeah. implications. Yeah, we'll leave that for another time. But. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but it's, but it's like that stuff is cool when it gets back to tax planning or, you know, your overall plan or your strategy, but like the opco and the propco, you know, the operating yep. company and the property company, one, one to hold the assets and one to handle the business, but there's, it's a strategy, but there's certain advantages that doing things that way or setting them up, depending on where you are in your real estate investing career and what your plan Absolutely. is. So, 
All right. So, and then to, I guess, to carry that forward into my next question, you know, when you're, when you have, we're talking about owning different properties and different LLCs, uh, that means you're, you potentially are buying and then also selling some of your properties that could be part of your strategy. There are, there are things out there that you can benefit from as well when you sell a property um, from a tax standpoint, such as a 1031, ex, 1031 exchange people talk about a lot. Uh, there's a lot to it, obviously, but could you give us a quick uh, overview of what a 1031 exchange is and what it means and how it can benefit people that have real estate investments and plan to potentially sell them? Absolutely. So a 1031 exchange is where it's sometimes called a like kind exchange or a starker exchange. And essentially what happens is you take your appreciated real estate and you exchange it into another piece of real estate while deferring all capital gains. So the easiest example, you bought a piece of real estate in the early 1990s for $50,000. It's now 2020 and the property is worth $500,000. It's appreciated nicely. Somebody's been paying off the mortgage and you've been getting rental income. And now you see the opportunity to go buy a multifamily property or something else that you'd like to buy, but you have $450,000 of gains plus the $50,000 of potential depreciation recapture from depreciating that property that you had. So how do you avoid all those gains? You utilize a 1031 transaction where you sell your current rental property and you purchase a new property, uh, the $500,000 one and you pay no capital gains tax as long as you follow all the 1031 exchange rules, which are very stringent and you cannot deviate from them at all. Uh, you need to use one, a qualified intermediary, so you can never take possession of the funds. If you do, the 1031 exchange will be you know, done for and you can't do it. So you wanna make sure you have a qualified intermediary. Second is you have to identify a property within 45 days of selling your relinquished property. So you sell your relinquished property and within 45 days, you have to identify a new property to purchase. And then 180 days from the close of your relinquished property, you need to have closed on the new property. So you have a very small window. You know, six months may seem like a lot of time, but you wanna make sure you have everything pretty much lined up or hopefully lined up before you sell your relinquished property to make sure that you can meet that 180 day window. Because if you don't, then the 1031 exchange is done. You will owe all the capital gains tax on the relinquished property. Yeah, that was great. That was great. That was a very a good way to put it. I think that was a great explanation. There's a lot there, though. This is a really cool topic. I mean, a lot of there's a lot of conversation out right now, given our what's going on in, in, in our society with tax law and tax code and raising taxes and elections and all that all that stuff. One of the one of the common themes out there is you know rich the rich get richer, but these laws are in place for people anybody to take advantage of. Absolutely, and I've you know seen it you know it, before the new tax law came out. It's the second time I'm referencing it now, but uh, in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it used to be able to use this strategy with anything from jewelry to artwork to you know your mom's china, but um, <laughs> at this point. I'm sure people did. Law, I'm sure people did as well. They they used to, but the new tax law took um, away all 1031 exchange except for real estate. So you, and let the definition is a very liberal definition. It's you can exchange a raw piece of land for a multifamily property, a multifamily property for a single family home, as long as it's not a primary residence. You can essentially do a 1031 exchange if it's a piece of real estate in any form. 
Uh, there is some talk out there about, you know, um, you know under a potential Biden tax plan, uh, if he does win, uh, which it looks like it's kind of likely that he may, uh, that the 1031 exchange could go away. So if you are planning on doing something like that, uh, it's certainly worth looking into sooner rather than later, uh, just because of the proposals to potentially eliminate the 1031 exchange altogether. So yeah. uh, I've used it with tax planning. I've used it with estate planning because there's something out there called swap to you drop. There's no limit to the number of 1031 exchanges that you can do on a property. Generally, you want to hold an investment property for probably at least a year uh, before you do these 1031 exchanges. But as long as it's an investment property, you know, you can do it. So I've seen people where they bought properties in the 80s and they've 1031 exchanged it a few times. But with real estate, you get a step up in basis at death. So if you own that property, when you pass away, you can pass that property onto your heirs completely eliminating all capital gains tax or depreciation recapture tax. So uh, when we were talking about before, it does also become a very useful estate planning tool uh, as well as just a great way to, to defer tax altogether. Yeah. I could go down so many different paths with, with all this stuff with you. I trying mean, to stay high level, but it's, it's great. It's, no, it's, it's good. Well, this is the exciting conversation you can have. Absolutely. I mean, this is the exciting thing about real estate. This is why people love it. There, there's not only is it kind of fun, but you know, there's, there's real implications, you know, when it comes down to tax savings. And that's another thing, building wealth, building cash. When you, you don't think necessarily about the longer term, the future, your children, the generate, you know, your, your legacy with real estate, it kind of, as a way of setting up a legacy for yourself and for, for your, your kids and so forth. Um, Absolutely. And it's so much fun to have that happen. And there are yeah, many, many different strategies that you can utilize when it does come to real estate. And, um, you know, you were talking about big multifamily properties. You can do cost segregation studies so that you can accelerate some of the depreciation on these properties and take advantage of, um, you know, tax savings sooner than you otherwise usually would be able to. So, yeah. <laughs> a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. Real, on the 1031, I want to I want to kind of carve through that again real quickly and, and and real back to like the conversation about the tax law of what's going on and you know the 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 laws are in place. It's not so that rich people get richer. It's they're they're there to incentivize the exchange of real estate. So if you're able to take advantage of selling a property and not having to pay taxes on the money that you gained through appreciation by rolling it into another property. It's not just to incentivize people to go buy more valuable properties, but that's also giving an opportunity for somebody else to buy the property that you're selling. So it's turn, it's churn in the market, it's churn in the economy. It's, it's not just letting people that own asset loan real estate, hold on to it forever and ever and ever. It, the, when money moves, our government makes money. <laughs> so, ideally, so. ideally that is what, the, I think the purpose behind it is, is to make sure that, like you said, anytime property is changing hands, there are many people involved in making that happen. There are repairs that need to be done to the property to have it be sold. There are real estate agents out there. There are title, there, there's many people who are involved in the real estate industry and it creates a lot of jobs. And I think that's why, uh, while all other 1031 exchange categories were eliminated, real estate was one that you know, continued to survive through that old tax law. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, if, and if they're going to incentivize it by giving people tax breaks, I mean, we can take advantage of them. So why At not? At this point, we certainly can. Well, we can Hopefully well, we, we can, can continue right. to do it. And that may change, like you pointed out, which is why you always start with your with a plan, with your financial planner and your CPA, and you make sure you know what's going on and what you can do and what you can't do. So exactly. to recap the 1031, we talked about depreciation and appreciation. Real quick, the tax-free, the savings on the taxes is what you would save through appreciation. So if you bought that property, you gave the example of a 50,000, and it's now worth 500. If you just sold it, you would realize a, a, a pro, the proceeds of 450,000, which you would typically have to pay a capital gains tax on, which is- you, uh, You'd have to pay, cap, well, you get, ideally the mortgage is probably paid off. So you have capital gains tax at 450,000, and then you'd have depreciation recapture right. because you've taken that ordinary deduction over the course of the past 27 and a half years. And now you have to recapture that $50,000 of depreciation that you've taken. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, that's something that we talked about a little bit earlier. It's not the easiest uh, you know, topic to, to actually grasp, but essentially you're paying ordinary income tax on all that prior depreciation that you've taken. But with the 1031 exchange, you get to avoid all that. So I yeah. think the key things to remember are going to be that you're going to avoid tax, not evade, but you're going to avoid the tax, which is 100% legal. You're going to uh, have to identify a property within 45 days, and you're going to have to close the transaction within 180 days. Those are the uh, key points to really remember with the 1031 exchange. Yeah, I think this is real quick. This is a good example for people that may get confused with appreciation and depreciation. So what Heath is saying about the depreciation is if you bought that property in, in the 90s for $50,000, $50, as he brought up earlier in our conversation, each year when you do your taxes, there's something called depreciation you can take. It's more or less the, the, the value of the property being expensed over time. So each year you can take a 27th of that 50,000 and depreciate it till it's down to zero. But if you go to sell the property, that gets accelerated and it has to be recaptured and you have to go back and pay the taxes on that money. It's almost like you're delaying it. Depreciation isn't really a deduction. It's more of a delay of that tax until you sell it. So not only would you have to pay the taxes on the appreciated value, which would be the capital gains tax, but then there's the, depreci the depreciation recapture that would kick in. So you potentially would have a pretty uh, large exposure to tax liability at that point, which is why that 1031 can be very beneficial if you're planning to sell in order to buy a similar like property that maybe is on a, you know, a larger scale. Um, or even just want to buy it with all cash and not have a loan or what, for whatever reason, you know, if you exactly. And yeah, you know, there, there are other things for, you know, not really for the, in, uh, um, institutional investor or somebody who has a lot of properties, maybe a real estate agent, but just for, uh, you know, somebody out there who may have five or six different rental properties and is tired of owning them and renting them out, but they are highly appreciated. There's something out there called a Delaware statutory trust or a DST that allows it's essentially a trust that owns real estate that will qualify for a 1031 exchange. You'll be able to receive rental income from it, but you won't have to own your current rental property anymore. You sell that, you invest into the trust, you continue to get rental income. And you know, that satisfies it for a lot of older you know, investors as well. A lot of mm -hmm. older people who own real estate and are just tired of managing that rental property. So again, there are so many different 
yeah. strategies that you can utilize around the real estate industry that allow you to do things like that. Yeah, I think we're going to have to wait, save the That's a whole separate podcast as well. <laughs> so real quick to recap the 1031 exchange, you know, if you want to utilize it, there are pretty uh, strict criteria that has to be met specifically in the timeline. So it's, it's something that you have that has to be done rather quickly. So you definitely want to plan for it and you want to make sure you have everything lined up. So if you're going to go to execute it, you know, you can make that happen and take advantage of it. Um, all right. Well, Heath, this has been great. I, you're a busy guy. I mean, I even, I know people always think accountants are busy only at tax time, but it's not, it's not the case. I mean, you know, you get to work with people like you, Travis, all year round with the real estate. Real estate doesn't stop. That's right. We keep you busy. We keep you busy. Exactly. What, what do you do for fun? Do you get, do you ever get a break? And if, if so, what do you, what do you like to enjoy in your, in your pastime and your downtime? I've got two young kids now, so I used to like to play a lot of golf. Don't get to do that as much anymore, but a lot of my time is spent now with their activities and it's, it's been a joy. I'll tell you, it's been great. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of good time spent at home in particular this last summer with, with everything that's been going on. So absolutely. That's, that's cool. Well, thanks a lot, Heath. I really appreciate you joining me today. Uh, if, People are out there uh, locally. Can you tell us where you are, first of all? And if there's people out there local to you that may want to reach out um, for any tax purposes or have a conversation with you, is there, where, is there a place people can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have a website, www.ibcgrouptax.com, where people can reach out to me at uh, 301-327-1040. I am uh, located up in uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland, but have clients you know, all over the country. This is yeah, really, I, I work with a lot of clients remotely. A lot of clients started in this area and moved away, but you know, continue to utilize my services. And uh, it's been nice to be able to keep in contact with everybody. One of the benefits of you know, Zoom and all the Google Meets and everything yeah. else you can do. Yeah, like right, right on. So I should have asked you that. So do you, do you have clients out of state or do you typically only work with more or less Maryland law? Uh, well, being in the, the DMV area, yeah, I'm pretty familiar with, all the the laws in maryland dc and virginia uh but i do have clients down in florida texas california new york um scattered kind of around the country kind of wherever the the investments take them great well that's perfect then so if you're out there listening anywhere across the country go check out Heath's web website uh shoot him an email give him a call and i'm sure he'll be able to help you out so Absolutely. Thanks All right. so much, Travis. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. I want to thank everybody for joining me today. Uh, again, this is the Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show. Um, if, you, if you haven't done so already, go check out the website, theinvestnest.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Invest Nest, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, Heath. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the InvestNest Real Estate Investing Show. Be sure to join the InvestNest.com and start learning and earning today.